Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. I am joined by Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame Athletics as part of the Rivals Network. Welcome to your Wednesday, January the 17th of 2024, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed, almost eight minutes after five o'clock. Eric and I are together until six o'clock. I'll stay with you until 7 o'clock this evening. Coming up on the program, we've got plenty of Notre Dame football talk to get to in the first hour of the program. In the 6 o'clock hour, a longtime friend of both of ours, the legendary former manager of the South Bend Silverhawks, Mark Haley, is going to join me to talk about Ron Coomer is coming to South Bend, the Chicago Cubs radio analyst to talk some baseball and of course Coomer and Haley go way back you'll hear that conversation coming up in the six o'clock hour by the way Coomer will be at the South Bend Cubs Performance Center on January the 25th and we will tell you how to get tickets coming up in the six o'clock hour also I'll have my NFL power rankings entering the divisional round of the postseason and our sports wagering segment last night I went 3 and 1 with my picks, so 5 and 3 for the week. 27 16 and 1 so far this year, and for the month of January, I'm up $82.80. Eric, that will take us to Sizzler for some good fixings. I It's on the house. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're buying? Well, hey, if we continue to win like we are right now. Okay. I wish I would do this in real life, just take I, my I four like every that you're night. I'm saying we as in I had something to do with it. So well, we're I'm, a team. Okay. We are a team. We work together so here on the show. Do, whatever I say on the air, you do the opposite of. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sometimes you just have to hold your nose because last night, Penn State plus five and a half at home against Wisconsin. The Badgers were undefeated. I thought they were due for loss, and I went with Penn State, and the Lions won outright. Oh. And I took Purdue minus nine against Indiana. And that was easy. Boilermakers went down to Bloomington and just whooped up on the old Hoosiers last night. So we'll talk about that and more. And, of course, four new picks coming up tonight. Of course, Eric, when you covered Indiana back in the day in the Big Ten, you always knew that in 2024 you would be fired up for tonight's Big Ten matchup between Nebraska and Rutgers. (laughs) That's funny. That would be Big Eight against Big East back in the old days. I've covered games at Rutgers before. The, during the two years I was on the Notre Dame basketball beat, I had some games at Rutgers. Notre Dame always the had rack. troubles there. The rack. You better believe it. And you got Northwestern and Maryland playing tonight 
in Big Ten it, play. It as reminded well. me of a high school gym. I mean, a big high school gym. But in Indiana, we have some incredibly oh. huge high school gyms. But it was kind of designed like that. We're lucky to have Elkhart's Northside Gym, one of the bigger high school gyms in the country. And my old friend from college at SIU Edwardsville, Jason Holmes, who broke Steve Alford's scoring records at Newcastle. He has told me about that beautiful basketball facility. All right, 11 minutes after 5 o'clock, a former Notre Dame player has found a new home, Ramon Henderson, fighting Irish defensive back. He has jumped out of the transfer portal, and he has landed in sunny SoCal. He will play for the UCLA Bruins next year, where his teammate will be former Irish wide receiver Rico Flores Jr. You talk about being at a disadvantage. Washington and Alabama, their current coaching situations, guys are leaving left and right with those two teams going through coaching changes. I saw a depth chart today. I think our old friend Mike Varell posted it. The entire starting lineup on offense for Washington is gone. Wow. Whether out of eligibility or in the transfer portal. I mean, everybody in some spots, both players on the depth chart at that position are gone. Wow. Just like that. And Alabama's losing and a this ton is a of tough, talent. Tough time to do it because most of the players that are high school players have signed and it may be hard to get transfer players into school in time to be for Washington in the spring. So they will probably be very busy in April, but you still have to conduct spring practice. There's just no easy solution for the portal in football. It just had an awkward time in between semesters, playoffs, bowls. Well, and I, but again, Saban waiting this long, not that he really could have done it much right. before he did, but but it's it's pretty deep. And then you have the dominoes. Then you have Washington, and then you have Arizona. At least Arizona got to hang on to their quarterback. He's really good. Oh, he ended up staying. Noah Fifita, yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Well, in today's college football world, a lot of quarterbacks get six figures <laughs> for jumping into the transfer portal. Better than being an NFL free agent nowadays. All right, we've got – Three topics to kick off the program, our hat trick of opening topics. So, Eric, let's get started. And once again, Eric Hansen, publisher and editor, InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Eric, does Michigan winning the national championship in football, would you consider that good news for the possibility of Notre Dame football doing the same in the future? I think that there are a lot of reasons that would lead you to that conclusion. The one thing that Michigan did, though, was in addition to kind of, I call it almost a Jurassic offense, in addition to that, they still checked the boxes that you need to check. Uh, total defense, run defense, turnover margin, and pass efficiency. Ironically, the one that they didn't check was rushing offense. They were 54th. But the rest of those, they were top 10. They were number one in turnover margin and number one in total defense. And Notre Dame, when you look at those numbers, isn't that far away. And 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 you you look and Notre Dame really basically checked all five boxes. Um they were, you know, you like to say top 25, and Notre Dame was 27th in rush offense and 26th in rush defense. But they were 5th in total defense. They were 20th in turnover margin and ninth in pass efficiency. One off of Michigan. Hmm. And so then you say, well, why wasn't Notre Dame a playoff team? And I'm actually writing about that for tomorrow. But the, the – Big difference is this. In Michigan, in its big games, there was a dip in productivity of its offense against really good defenses. In Notre Dame, it was a crater. You know, they they were unrecognizable from these statistical trends in the games that they lost, especially Clemson and Louisville, and even in the win against Duke. And so, yes, I think there's an encouragement from – style of play, the fact that they recruit kind of out of the same pool, that Notre Dame is actually in the six classes that were on the field. 
you know, contributing as players. Notre Dame might recruited them in four of the six. Neither of them are portal dependent, so there's some similarities there. So there are a lot of encouraging signs, but it doesn't mean Michigan's the only way to get there. They also had some favorable matchups. Washington, as much as I love Washington all year, was about as unlikely from a metric standpoint to win a national championship as any team since Notre Dame was in in 2012 in terms of their weaknesses. Washington was 104th in rush offense. They were 96th in total defense. I mean, you're not talking just okay in those categories. You're talking way down the list, and it caught up with them against Michigan. But I I do think that model, at least from a fan standpoint, is encouraging. But Notre Dame has work to do, especially in a couple areas. Offensively, defensive line driven, What's the what's the qu- position group with the most question marks? Offensive line, also pass efficiency. Riley Leonard has been a great dual threat quarterback. He hasn't been elite or even a really above average in pass efficiency yet. That part of his development is going to have to come along because that's a huge check mark. And when you look at these teams. Alabama was 11th, Texas was 20th, Washington was 13th, Michigan was 8th. They were all good at it. Even if you look at Notre Dame's 2020 and 2018 playoff teams and 2012 teams, Notre Dame statistically looks closer to a playoff team this year than it did in any of those three years. So I do think there's progress. No question, Michigan offensive line, defensive line driven, and that's what Marcus Freeman wants to be. If I could steal one thing from Michigan and install it on this Notre Dame football team, and I think this was very important in defending Washington's passing game in that championship game, what could Michigan do in that game that if Notre Dame would have been in that spot, Eric, they would not have been able to do? They rushed four and got to the quarterback, which meant they dropped seven back in coverage against that high-powered passing attack of Washington – and the Huskies ended up with 13 points. Now, Penix was a little off in his accuracy, but I think a lot of that had to do with feeling the pressure early in the ball game. Yeah. But it is such a luxury if you can rush four and take care of putting pressure on the quarterback, and then you can drop back in coverage and try to just take those wide receivers and those lanes away. It just is such an advantage for a defensive coordinator. And as we know, here in South Bend, Al Golan had to dial up pressures in order to consistently get pressure. So if you face Washington by attacking them with blitzes, you know, there was a chance with the way those receivers and Penix had had great chemistry, including in that game against Texas. You have the feeling they would have made some big plays against a team that would have relied on just blitzing. So, Notre Dame's ability to get to the point where they could be like Michigan this year, rushing for Eric would make such a big difference. Right. I do think Notre Dame would have been a tough out for Washington just because of how Washington is constructed. But if they could get the pass rush, that would have been a really interesting game. I think as as highly as I thought of Washington, the kind of team you don't want to match up with is Notre Dame because they're number one in the country in pass efficiency defense. Michigan was top five. I think they were third. Um, But they um, are a team that plays a light box, so they're not really worried about Washington's run game being 104th. They they can stop that playing seven in the box and play their normal really sticky pass defense. And then Notre Dame's offense would have presented the Washington defense some problems with its um, balance. So – it, it would have been an interesting game. But again, Washington was so good at two things, offensive line play until the national championship game, and that passing attack. It was so prolific. And I went against my mm. math metric statistics and loved Washington all year in spite of those things. And I thought, well, maybe this is the, this is the time to turn the page, and it's not. Yeah. Not yet. 
Same old, same old. Yeah. And Michigan had an advantage over Notre Dame. Sharon Moore against Jared Parker. To me, there's a big difference right there. Moore well, is putting himself in position to be a head coach very soon. Well, and Harbaugh's a more seasoned coach than – No question. Uh, you know, and I think Marcus uh, would be more fun at sleepovers. Remember <laughs> when Jamara <laughs> did that in climbing trees? I think uh, Marcus – and jumping in pools, I think Marcus would be more fun at all those things, but – um, there is. I'll tell you, there was one point, though, I really questioned Harbaugh was in the Alabama game, and he went for it on fourth down in his own territory, and they got it. But if they had not, Alabama was already in field goal range and could have ended the game there. I thought, wow, I don't I, – if Marcus had done that, I would have really questioned it. And I did question it with Harbaugh, but they yeah. were successful and it won the game. A little pass into the flat to the running back, got the first down. and We'll see, but he had an offensive coordinator that could execute that. Big difference. Yeah. The gap is a whole lot different now we're, we're with Mike Denbrock We're putting all this pressure on town. Mike Denbrock. Denbrock is not going to be perfect, but I do think – you will see the difference in the big games. Mike Denbrock will be as perfect as Riley Leonard is being a more consistent throw of the football. Right. And that's that's the, be, that's it. That's gonna be, you know, when somebody asked me today in the live chat, where is his focus gonna be? And there's a lot of areas. His, his position group is tight ends and and two of his better tight ends are are on the mend. Uh but he's gonna put his attention where it's needed most and I think the offensive line is going to get a lot of attention from him in the spring and the quarterbacks and specifically Riley Leonard in improving him as a downfield passer. Eric let me ask you one more thing about this Michigan winning the title conversation what it could mean for Notre Dame recently in college football the dominant quarterback has been a big reason why teams have won the national championship. Joe Burrow and that offense at LSU just dominated the competition. You look at J.J. McCarthy, and I think he's going to be a very interesting player to watch in the draft process. He's an intriguing player. I don't think he's a game changer at this point of his career. I can't imagine he's going to be a first-round pick at this point. He was, and I don't mean this negatively, because I think every quarterback has to do this. He was a really good game manager for Michigan. He's a, a pretty solid thrower of the football. Accuracy probably has to get a little better at the next level. But Michigan's offense wasn't throw it all over the place and dominate and score 55 points a game and win the title. They had more of a quarterback that was kind of a game manager. And Notre Dame hasn't had that high-powered, wow quarterback in some time. Does that give you a little hope, even though the Irish have some quarterbacks that are much younger that hopefully might be able to be more of a powerhouse at that position? But having a guy like Riley Leonard, who I'd not put in the category, is a guy that's just going to absolutely dominate the competition throwing the football. Do you think that also gives Notre Dame hope that a quarterback that is solid but not spectacular helped that team win the championship? I do. You don't need a five-star quarterback to win the national championship, but you need one who plays like a five-star from an efficiency standpoint. Yep. I, w I want – the reason I didn't do the story I was talking about for today instead of for tomorrow is I went down the rabbit hole with some stats. And the more that I dug, the more interesting things I found. Because I thought, Eric, I wonder if those five metrics that – I, I call myself Eric. You were going back to your Charlie Weiss story there for a second. <laughs> Those five metrics. Self, um, are these five metrics still as time-tested as they have been since the beginning of the BCS era? And are there new ones we need to pay attention to? One I would say we definitely need to pay more attention to is pass efficiency defense. That has become a staple of all but two national championships in the playoff and the BCS era. Uh, there were two really bad ones. Auburn and that 2010 Kim Newton team was weird, and then there was another one that was not as bad as that. Uh, I think it was one of the Alabama teams, actually, was an, 
a good pass defense. It might have been the 2020 team. And again, those stats from that year are a little skewed because you played a lot. You didn't play those FCS teams that padded your stats. You know, you're playing all conference games. So the 2020 stats were kind of wonky. Yeah. Um, but here's what I found pass offense in terms of passing yards per game. It's all over the board. There's been national champions with the second or third best, like the Joe Burrow team. There have been national champions. Michigan was 81st, uh, and there were a bunch more like that. So it's all over the place. But what is absolutely a conta, con, constant is this. Let me give you the pass efficiency rankings of – we'll just go backwards. Okay. Michigan, 8. Georgia, 20, 22, 6. Georgia, 20, 21. 21-4, Alabama 1, LSU 2, Clemson 13, Alabama 10, Clemson 18. Here's an outlier, Alabama in the 2015-34. Then you go 2-1-1, then there's a 35 by Alabama in 2011. But you have, I mean, all the way back to Notre Dame, I mean, you go back all the way till 1990 when pass efficiency became a stat. It was important, and I mean, there was nobody except for the two that I mentioned that were bad, you know, below average. And even 34 or 32, that's not bad. I mean, you're in the upper third. Yeah. But in general, you have to be elite. And so you don't need to pass offense. So if Riley Leonard is just an efficient passer, not necessarily a guy that puts up 300-yard games – Combined with his running skill set, that's absolutely good enough. And I know that the Steve Angeli fan club is screaming at the radio right now. We'll talk about him another day, but we're just trying to simplify the conversation with Riley Leonard today. Very interesting. What was Michigan's pass efficiency offense this year? 80? They they were 81st. Wow. Yeah. They were not, you know, in total offense, they were pretty far down. I think they were 67th. Um, But they were – 14th in scoring offense. Why? Because they were number one in turnover margin. They were number one in fewest penalties. And that helps your that turnover because yep. you get defensive touchdowns, you get special teams touchdowns. That helps. And you're not giving possessions away. Eric Hansen, publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com. So this really feeds into your article for tomorrow that people will find at InsideIndieSports.com. It does. And we talk yeah. about, they'll say, well, Notre Dame was 20th in turnover margin. They were. But in the Clemson-Louisville game, they were minus five combined in those games. That is so far away from where they were every other game the rest of the year. Even the Duke game, they were where they struggled, they were a positive two. They may not have won that game without those plus two turnovers. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't know you were writing that article. This is just coincidence that I brought yeah. this topic up. And so check out Eric's article at InsideIndieSports.com tomorrow along these same lines, what we were talking about with Michigan winning the national championship and what it means for the Fighting Irish. 529 is our time. Let's get a break out of the way. We'll come back with our other two opening topics to kick off the program, including a thought on Koho Kia, the newest member of the Fighting Irish class of 2025. He's Eric. I'm Darren. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Dame football coverage continues now. In trouble and sacked. Riley Mills with the sack at the 42-yard line. Oh. And it's intercepted. Picked off middle of the field. Kaiser. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Driven back into the backfield after no game. Jalen Sneed. Ball. Hit. Ball comes out. Notre Dame's got it. Howard Cross knocked the ball out. From Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. They won't make it. They get stopped. No chance. Joshua Burnham was there to meet him and throw him for a loss. Morris in trouble and sacked. That is RJ Open. Sports Beat on WSBT Radio brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. 
Also by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. And by the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. 535, my name is Darren Pritchett, joined by Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame Athletics as part of the Rivals Network. We've got a couple of more opening topics to get to. We handled, does Michigan winning the national title? Is that good news for Notre Dame going forward? Now let's get to a couple of other topics. So, Eric, let's go with some Notre Dame football recruiting news and insight. The class of 2025 already has 14 members, and number 14 is from the Hawaiian Islands, linebacker Ko'o. Ko'o, oh man, I screwed it up today. I had it down yesterday. Ko'o, Kia. I just say it fast and say Ko'Kia. Okay, whatever works. Well, he picked Notre Dame. He had offers from schools like Texas, Oregon, and Utah. I don't know if you've had much time to, to check out some of Kia's film, but it sounds like a pretty versatile linebacker that could be a part of this defense in years to come. Yeah. Charleston Bowles, who does our recruiting, and Tom Lemming, who does everybody's recruiting. I've talked to (laughs) both of them about it, and I've looked at a little bit of it, and he's impressive. I don't know how he's a three-star, but in general, at least the kids from Hawaii that come to Notre Dame, they they are underrated and they overperform. Every single one of them, including Manti Teo, who was number 12 and ended up being the Heisman runner-up, I mean – but a lot of these three-star kids just start laughing and go, okay, this isn't really a three-star <laughs> player. Um, you know, Kahanu, his older brother, is back at Notre Dame in class, and he's been on a two-year mission. I'm not sure that Co is going to do that as well, um, but I like him a lot. He plays for his dad at Punahou. His dad is the head coach there now. And so it's a great program with great competition. He looks fast, athletic, versatile. Um, Yeah, I I would have taken a flyer on him. I know Tom Lemming puts together the initial – well, he puts together every stage of the Buckkiss Award for high school, and he'll be one of the 51 nominees for that award, which which for a three-star kid is, I think, a pretty good place to be. So – yeah, I, I love the fact. I like everything about him. So he he definitely has my attention. And that's 14 commits, more than by far the most of anybody in the 2025 class. They're the rivals' number one team in 2025 with a bunch of you know top prospects coming in this weekend, including 10 commits to help try to recruit those guys. Wow. So, I mean, the recruiting momentum right now is really positive. The coaches are out on the road. Mike Denbrock and all those guys, they got to say goodbye to this crummy South Bend weather, (laughs) although some of them may be in crummy weather in other parts of the country. But I know Denbrock and Marcus Freeman and those guys were out on the West Coast. It is remarkable what you touched on. 14 commitments for the Irish. The next closest, nine. Yeah. Nine. So the Irish are analyzing the talent. They're getting those offers out there, and they're closing the deal quickly. And this isn't just like, well, they're picking up guys. They're picking up guys, guys, guys. I mean, these are high-end elite talents that Notre Dame is bringing into the program, and it never hurts when arguably, and you can obviously disagree and go a different direction, but it seems like, the best recruit in the class is the quarterback. And that, to me, always just means something extra. Maybe I'm wrong, but Deuce Knight maybe being the best recruit, and now you got everybody else following him, that's that's a sign of a lot of good things to come. I think so. And the fact that, I mean, 
CJ Carr was incredible in terms of getting down to South Bend every time there was a recruiting event and helping out with yeah. the recruiting and not to minimize driving three hours from Ann Arbor, but Deuce Knight lives in Mississippi and he's going to be here Saturday and he is very active on social media. CJ Carr was too. So two guys that have done a really good job of getting together your classes. And again, when you're a guy like Owen Strebig, who's one of the top tackles in the class, maybe the top tackle in the class eventually from a big 6'8 kid from Wisconsin, when he can be around the guys he's going to be in a class with, you know, when there's 10 of them there, that is a much better selling point than if there's one or two at a recruiting event and you don't know you know, who's going to be in your class or whatever. And so I think that's a big selling point this weekend for Notre Dame because Owen's going to be one of the guys at Notre Dame. All right. So for more on the recruiting for the Fighting Irish, you can check out InsideIndieSports.com and you will find the work of Charleston. Charleston Bowles and Tyler James is very involved in recruiting me more of a cursory look at recruiting. I let those guys get into the weeds, and I kind of take the bigger picture view. Ooh, that's a big word you learned there at Ohio State. Cursory? Yeah. Okay, Cursed. it's from that. the word cursor. Wow. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Well, uh, you were just at Ohio State. You didn't pick up any vocabulary. I'm sure that there's some about Michigan that you can't repeat. At the hockey game, Notre Dame-Ohio State, during a – a stoppage in play. I took the headset off to get something to drink really quick. And the PA announcer at the hockey game said, uh, the next home series for Ohio State, make sure you check it out January 28th, 20th, whatever, as Ohio State takes on the team up north. They don't even say the name of the team <laughs> at the hockey arena. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. I love it. All right, our third and final topic. Hail Purdue! Wow! The Boilermakers went down to Indiana and they took care of the Hoosiers in dominating fashion. Boilermakers were up 51-29 at halftime. I don't know if Mike Woodson peeled some paint off the wall with his words. IU did come out with a 14-2 run to start the second half. They made it interesting. They got it to Single digits for a moment, and then Purdue pushed right back. Seven minutes to go in the game. An 8-0 run put him up 75-56, and this ball game was over. And the Boilermakers beat Indiana convincingly down at the Assembly Hall. This series, you don't see Purdue dominating like that very often, but they won 87-66. to I think I believe it's one of the biggest margins of victory for Purdue in Bloomington since 1934. Wow. Does that sound right? I mean, you've that covered right. this series. Well, I, when I was covering the series, it was Bob Knight versus Gene Cady, oh. and every game was a war. <laughs> it was. Fans, players, coaches, <laughs> broadcasters, media. That's right. Whatever I mean, the that, case may be. The chair toss game was an Indiana-Purdue game. That's right, and their old analyst, Steve Reed, was at the free throw line. That's and right. And we had Steve on – Years ago, talking about that, and it was just incredible. Just, I was at that game. You were at all the big moments. I was at all the big moments. We need to do a top five list, the top five moments you were a part of with Bob Knight <laughs> as a reporter down there in Bloomington. You have yep. a lot to choose from. There, Whips, I could, chairs. <laughs> Whips, chairs, something called cerebral reversal. What? Cerebral Is that reversal. cursory? No, that oh. was something that Bob Knight invented um, <laughs> that when he felt like he was being unduly criticized when they were sent out to Boise, he said, I'm making my players do something called cerebral reversal and I'm putting their feet in ice buckets. <laughs> That's before they played Shaq in LSU, maybe the best seventh seed I've ever seen in the tournament. Is that the game Bob Knight punched the phone along press row? No, that was a different that a was different LSU during game. their run to the national championship with Keith Smart and those guys. 
That would have been Dale Brown, I believe, on the other sideline. Dale Brown was on the other sideline in both, and one of the most, probably the most interesting question that I've ever asked in my career, I asked to Dale Brown, and I've told you that story. I do. I remember that. <laughs> Did you really want to wrestle Bob Knight naked to the death? <laughs> and he answered it beautifully. <laughs> Well, that's better than the question asked to Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Todd Bowles. A reporter asked Bowles, concerns about going to Detroit, the cold temperature. Do you have to do something to prepare your team? And he goes, well, we're playing in a dome. <laughs> we're going to be outside for 30 seconds getting off the bus. The reporter sold it, though. I mean, went into great detail to ask she did. every part of that question. I have a feeling she was probably a news reporter, and we've been in moments where news reporters go over to the sports side, and sometimes it does not go well. All right, finally, talking about Indiana and Purdue. Since you've been a part of this rivalry as a media member for so many years, let me ask you this because I asked Allison Hayes this question. I answered as well yeah. last night. Who is your all-time favorite Indiana player? I'm going to go with uh... – a guy that I covered um, instead of somebody. Otherwise, it would be Yogi because you and I always yes. say Yogi. Yes. We love the name. Um, I I, ne I should have named one of my kids Yogi. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with Keith Smart. And the reason why I go with Keith Smart, and this was fairly early in my career, was there were a couple of rule changes that really threw Bob Knight for a loop for about a season and a half. Uh, the three-point line and the shot clock. Those were things that um, changed the way that Bob Knight had to play defense with, with having to defend the three and then being able to kind of salt away a game with four minutes left and all his good free throw shooters. The shot clock changed that. And he used to basically recruit from the Indiana, Ohio, Illinois belt. Um, and he had to get outside of that recruiting territory. And Keith Smart was so far off from what Notre or Indiana had ever recruited. He was a junior college kid, went to junior college, not because of grades, but because he wasn't very good. He was 5'10 when he graduated from high school in Louisiana. And he came to Indiana, he was a 6'2 guard, and he ended up making the game-winning uh, basket in their national championship victory over Syracuse. But the, the ends that Bob Knight was willing to evolve, Keith Smart kind of symbolized that. Plus, he was just such a cool guy hmm. and okay. a good player. Okay, very good. I'm trying to remember who Allison went with, with Indiana. And then do you want my Purdue one? Yes, uh, my Purdue one, I'm going to go with Conzo Martin, who mm. became a pretty prominent um, college coach, and it doesn't surprise me. So Conzo came out of East St. Louis, either East St. Louis High or Lincoln. I'm not sure which East one. East St. Louis Lincoln because his high school teammate was Lafonso Ellis. Lafonso Ellis. He was a guy that was like 6'6 and could jump out of the gym as a high school player. And he came to Purdue, just a breathtaking athlete and absolutely tore up his knee mm. and back then the surgeries weren't as corrective and um, helpful and as they are now I mean a lot of times that those were kind of career-ending injuries Conzo couldn't ever jump that way again he was a completely yeah. different player and he remade himself into one of the most three prolific three-point shooters in college basketball and helped his team get to a final eight with Glenn Robinson. They they were unfairly bracketed. They should have been in the final four. I mean, they had like three number one seeds in their, in their region. They had like Duke and Kansas, and it was Duke, I think, with Grant Hill. I mean, it was just impossible. Mm. But um, Conzo Martin, the way that he reinvented himself, worked so hard to do that. I just had, and again, a cool guy. I went with Robbie Hummel, but the first really good Boilermaker player I remember as a kid was Joe Barry Carroll. <laughs> I remember Joe Barry Carroll. Yeah, he was kind of 
in my era of being in college, yeah, which we at Ohio State called him Joe Very Average, <laughs> but he wasn't. He was pretty good. <laughs> I just remember that. Okay, things that pop into your head. All yeah. right, 5.50 is our time. Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchett with you. We'll come back with our Twitter question of the day results and a brand-new question coming up next. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I got to convince... Eric Hansen to write a book about his time as a media member. The stories are off the chart. I mean, I just got an Uve Blob story that's that we can't say on the, the radio though. It's top of the chart. I mean, come on, Uve Blob from Effingham, Illinois, <laughs> played for Bob Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers. I'm tired of losing to Purdue. I know you're tired of losing to Purdue, coach. I understand. So anyway, you got to write the book. Because you just told me a little Gene Katie nugget that's fantastic as well. All right. We'll put that on the back burner. Twitter question of the day from Sportsbeat and InsideIndieSports.com. I post it weekdays on my Twitter X account at 960Sportsbeat. Eric is kind enough to retweet it to his subscriber base. So here is the question from Tuesday. Notre Dame has faced quarterback DJ Uwe Ungalale. Close enough? Yeah. Okay. Twice while he was at Clemson. After a year at Oregon State, the Irish will face DJU again in 2024 as a member of Florida State. From an Irish standpoint, do you consider DJ a quote-unquote dangerous quarterback to face? And I offered his stats against the Irish. Two games, 56 of 84. 630 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. It just depends on how you define dangerous. That's why I put it in quotation marks. So, you could answer yes or no before giving the results. Eric, how would you handle this question? I would say I would define him as dangerous because he's got a lot of skills and he's experienced. Um, has he lived up to his recruiting hype? Never. He was the number three quarterback in 2020, or number three player overall. Uh, one of his teammates, uh, Brian Brzee, was the number yeah. one player. Bryce Young was number two, and then DJ was three. But DJ was number one through most of that cycle in 2020. And had the huge game against Notre Dame, so you're the, thinking the he's going to blow up. The opponent record, but he hasn't been... I think he was better at Oregon State than he was at Clemson, but he still isn't, you know, that guy, the number three player. Now, again, facing a sixth-year quarterback in November who's played in Notre Dame Stadium, um, I think, yeah, it's formidable. I think he's dangerous. I, I think there's other quarterbacks that I, if I'm Al Golden, I'd like to see less of, but... But DJ, you know, I think will still be a very good quarterback. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I'd rather face DJ than Jordan Travis, a healthy Jordan oh, Travis. No question. Okay, so is DJ a dangerous quarterback to face? 62.2% said no. Uh-uh. Nope. And I, again, I think the bar is that number three player in the country. I think also he's been around so long that you kind of get tired of him. And yeah. you don't feel like he's got another level to his game. Yeah. Kind of is who he is. Kind of like didn't come down for the Frosted Flakes in El Paso. He was gone. He opted out. He and Sam both. <laughs> That's right. Missed out on the Frosted Flakes. Although Sam was there, but he, he was just there. was a cheerleader. He was on TV more than Angeli, I swear, at times. <laughs> All right, so 62% of you said no, DJU is not a dangerous quarterback to face. 37.8% said you betcha. So we'll see DJ and Florida State against the Fighting Irish. Let's see, that game's at Notre Dame Stadium this year. Site of 
DJ throwing for what, 400 yards against the Irish the COVID year? Was it it was COVID? over 400, yeah. I think. Amazing. Okay. In that double overtime upset of the number one team in the country. Now to today's question, which you can find on my Twitter X account at 960Sportspeak. Which of these Sam Hartman 2023 stats will most likely be bypassed in 2024 by Notre Dame quarterback Riley Leonard? So which of these four is Leonard most likely to top? Fair enough? Yes. Here are the choices. We did not go with any running choices because that would be pretty easy. <laughs> That'd be over in the first game. <laughs> Done. All right. So, which of these four Sam Hartman stats from 23 will Leonard bypass in 24? 191 completions over 12 games. That's probably right around 15 completions a game, I would say. Okay. Using my SIUE math, that's not Ohio State math, of course. It'd be down to like the hundredth of a point if I use my Ohio State math. All right. How about 63.5% completion percentage? Gosh, where Hartman was in the first month, it's shocking to see 63.5. Third choice, 2,689 passing yards. And your fourth choice, 24 passing touchdowns. So which of those Hartman stats do you believe Leonard will bypass this year again? 191 completions, 63.5% completion percentage, 2,689 passing yards, or 24 passing touchdowns. Would you like to answer today or tomorrow? I'll answer now. You'd like to play? Okay. I'll play. You'll play. I I won't pass. (laughs) Um, I don't think any of those are slam dunks. I agree. And some of that is because, and again, we're assuming that Leonard is the starter. And some of that is because of Riley Leonard's running ability and I think Mike Denbrock's ability to take advantage of that. But I think the one that needs to happen is the one that I voted on, and that's 63.5% completion rate. That has to happen. For Notre Dame to be a playoff team, that has to align. That's a great way of looking at it. And I think that's where Mike Denbrock's focus is going to be and Gino Gadulli and Marcus Freeman. Eric's answer will play right into his article tomorrow at InsideIndieSports.com. It will. So make sure you check it out. So I'll be interested to see how this ends up. Uh, Trey just chimed in a couple of moments ago. He has a gif describing his answer. He says basically all of them. Oh. Hmm. If that is the case... The Irish are not going to lose many games in 2024, my friend, because the running game is going to be there. Again, I, I just I want to temper people's thoughts that they've heard Riley Leonard's a first-round draft pick, and he has the capabilities, but he's not there yet. If he was capable of consistently making all the throws, he'd be in the NFL draft right now. Right. So there is progress to be made, which can happen. Right. And, and the – all the more proof you need of that are the three guys that were in New York for the Heisman as quarterbacks. None of them had even above average stats at their old their last season at their old school now. Pinnix was injured a lot, but even when he wasn't, I mean, you look at their stats and you go, hmm, okay. And they all three were outstanding. Now, some of them sooner than others made the jump. Pinnix right away. Um, Jay and Daniels was more gradual. They were each at their new school for two years. Riley Leonard's only going to be at Notre Dame for one. Hmm. Eric, I have to share this with you. I mentioned this to you during a commercial break, but our friend Mike Varell from out in Seattle just posted the depth chart from the national title game for Washington. Every offensive starter is gone from the program, whether it be declared for the draft, retired, out of eligibility. The entire offensive starting lineup is gone. And, Eric, on defense, everybody is gone except two starters, a linebacker and a cornerback. Wow. It is stunning to see all the 
names being marked off as no longer with the program. Again, some are out of eligibility, but there are a lot of guys that went other directions. It is just stunning to see. It's, and it's really sad for Washington fans. I mean, you had this Cinderella season that you dream of, and now you look at next year's like, how are we going to win a game? And, and you're going to the Big Ten where you'll face Michigan in the regular season. Wow. Incredible. You're going to have to be busy portal shopping in April. I mean, Alabama players should go to Washington, and Washington <laughs> players should go to Alabama at this point. Holy cow. All right. Let's get to the soap theme, which means Eric has a chance to enlighten all of you when you go to InsideIndieSports.com, what you will find right now, tomorrow, in the future, whatever the case may be. Well, at the top of the page right now, we have the chat transcript. I had a live chat for three and a half hours today. Lots of great questions. We're keeping it going on a weekly basis during the offseason. There's the demand for it. So uh, we have a couple of reports from the Polynesian Bowl. Logan Sadalte, a June enrollee for Notre Dame, is tearing it up out in Hawaii at their all-star practices out there. Charleston's got all kinds of recruiting coverage leading up to the junior day this Saturday. I had an analysis piece earlier in the week. Who could rise with a strong winner in Notre Dame's weight room? I have uh, seven players. The seven players and Emil Wagner's picture is on there, so that's a clue to that. And, of course, podcasts, football never sleeps, and much, much more. Check it out inside IndieSports.com, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Sounds great. That is Eric Hansen, again, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. We will take a timeout. I'm going to be joined by our favorite manager here in South Bend. He's Mr. Baseball in South Bend, for crying out loud. It is Mark Haley. He's going to tell you about Cub broadcaster Ron Coomer coming to town. He wants to talk some baseball with our South Bend fans on January the 25th at the South Bend Cubs Performance Center. Details coming up in a couple of moments. Also, a sports update here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.